Hey folks, thank you for joining me. I'm Bobby Marvin Holmes, host of He Voices, a podcast where we center the empowerment of black children, youth, and families. On today's episode, I'm joined by Brittany Young, founder and CEO of B360, an organization that uses dirt bike culture and STEM to empower youth. As an innovative social entrepreneur, Sister Young uses culturally relevant programming to create new career paths and opportunities by tapping to Baltimore's unique dirt bike culture. Sister Young joined me to talk about her work with B360 and how she is teaching youth technical STEM skills with practical application along with dirt bike riding safety. Um, my first question, Brittany, can you talk about the work you do with B360? What's the focus of the organization? Yep. So as we know, people across the U.S., specifically black people in major cities like Baltimore, Miami, Cleveland, Detroit, go on, ride dirt bikes in the streets um, because there's no place to go. Unlike skateboarding, unlike bicycling, um, people used to ride in parks, but then laws will pass to kick them out. Um, in Baltimore specifically, it can be a misdemeanor, um, and we have a dirt bike police task force like other cities do. And so what we saw was an opportunity to turn it on its head, that we embrace the style of riding, we embrace black creativity, black genius, black ingenuity. And so we focus in three areas. One, STEM education and workforce. Um, we hire and train youth and young adults to basically be the best skilled riders, pulling out the mechanics aspects, helping them ride safely out of traffic, and really just growing program and industry. The second thing we do is work with cities and governments around better practices, diversion programs, safe spaces, and how can we make sure we have the same goals and outcomes as the Dirt Bike Public Task Force, but the mechanism is through like proactive solutions. And then third, the motocross industry is 32 billion, but there's not any black people or people that look like me, period. And so we want to be able to create events for that style of riding that allow it to flourish, that make sure riders get monetized for their time, um, that can bring revenue to cities and, you know, the motorsports space in general. If it wants to see it grow in the future, it needs to embrace black people in cities across the U.S. because we're the driving force of it. Awesome. Uh, how did this idea come about? Um, this is definitely innovative um, and very unique. And I see it as a, a game changer in Baltimore for so many levels um, as a way to create means to teach our youth skill set, an important skill set that and based on something that they enjoy doing, um, as well as innovative in terms of youth development programming. Yeah, so back in 2015, going to 2016, of course, it was Freddie Gray uprising. Um, I noticed two main problems in Baltimore, which I saw as like two main opportunities to do better. One, Baltimore at the time and has more now. Uh, had 120,000 mid-level STEM careers that don't require a four-year degree that Associated Black Charities said could move communities out of poverty, could push the city forward. But what I didn't see was an easy way to unite with what people are already doing to show that STEM is not hard and to create a better pipeline. Um, and to like, when you think of STEM, unfortunately, people still think of like 
older white men, but STEM can be little black girls. You know, it can be little black boys. It can be people who ride dirt bikes. It's not a, a hard concept. Um, and then second was the Dirt Bike Task Force was created. And while I agreed riding need to be more safe, you know, and I agreed that we need to get people out of traffic, what I did not agree on was the mechanism. And so I learned that law was the law. So we had nothing against the police, you know, but really wanted people to focus on you can be proactive in handling the situation and doesn't have to be tip for tat. We don't have to put more stress and strain on the police. Uh, we can do better in community. And so out of all of that frustration, birth B360. And how, as a young black girl, you got engaged into STEM? Mm-hmm. Um, so me back when I was in pre-K and kindergarten in first grade, um, I was like a mad scientist. That's the easiest way to describe it. I worked like I used to have a, a lab in my basement. I convinced my parents to get me like a chemistry set. I blew up my eyebrows. Um, I made stink bombs. Like people really, really hated uh, like me going to school sometimes. Um, Cause I really like, if you're born in school, you know, you can become bad, I guess is how they describe me. Um, and then I watched Good Night Science Guy one day and I was like, oh, that's going to be me. And so I never had my first black teacher until I was in third grade. So up until that point, I was always like in the principal's office, like I had my desk next to the principal, but she saw something in me. She asked me what I like to do. She believed in me and she created like a science club for high school students that I got to work with and compete with when I was in third grade. And that's just really when it kind of like took off. Um, But then I went into STEM and I always tell people STEM was not ready for me, right? It wasn't that I was prepared it wasn't that I didn't have the grades it wasn't that I couldn't do it it was that they weren't ready to be like culturally competent and work on themselves first to acknowledge this black girl from West Baltimore um and so that was really my introduction is like getting excited to be in STEM and to be in a workforce but then getting in the place that she wanted to work and realizing you're the only black person you're the only woman you're the youngest um and everyone my first week confused me for the secretary. So that was really my introduction. But I mean, I had a lot of great opportunities in my career as an engineer too. So I've done anything from like manufacturing medical devices and prototypes to food science. So like actually making spices, um, to making makeup. Um, what else have I done? Like asset management, project management. So just a lot of great stuff. Um, but all of my experiences were not the best. Uh, you, you just mentioned uh, about being a black girl from West Baltimore and I, I know that plays a huge part because dirt bike culture is very unique to Baltimore other areas as well um, but Baltimore definitely has its own affinity uh, with dirt bike riding can you talk about how growing up in West Baltimore help shape you um, particularly when you go on and navigate these spaces um, even to where you are now how what what was the culture of West Baltimore uh, that prepared you um, to be where you are today 
Yeah, I always tell people, like, being from Baltimore is a superpower, right? It gives you most strength and most comfort if you can make it in Baltimore, you can make it anywhere, right? And so that's really what it bought is as people that live in this city, black people, where we have naturally been ingrained to survive, and that's been our, like, tool of how we made it through. What business has taught me is, like, the translation is now that you've survived, let's actually start living and let's start, you know, sustaining, and one day I'll be able to thrive. Um, but, yeah, going back to, to West Baltimore and Baltimore in general, the only way I was able to see these two things as a problem and turn it into a solution was my love that I have and, like, the love that the city has given me. Um so I am not a dirt bike rider. I tried when I was young and I fell and that's not for me. Um, but, you know, it's like a sport. So when I think of my summers in Baltimore as a kid or even now, it's dirt bikes. You can smell the engine. You can smell the gas. You can hear the engines revving. Um, being in Drew Hill Park, watching dirt bike riders, pop willies, do tricks, do stunts and like a family fun like cookout. And that's what I was just about like every Sunday, you know, just watching going with my cousins, going with my uncles, that kind of stuff. Um, and all of that came back because when I noticed the problems, that's what I leaned on. I thought about my experience as a black kid in the city of, yeah, dirt bikes aren't, you know, supposed to be on the streets, but how can we make sure that something still retains for us in this city where it seems like people swallow you up, literally, figuratively, and emotionally? You know, how can we make sure that more black people don't go to jail you know, for something that's not violent. Um, and so that's really what I leaned on is wanting to make sure that people understand no matter what, I'm always be black. I'm always be from Baltimore. My kids will be black. So in order to do things better, not just for myself, but for future kids and future generations, we have to decide what we're going to do to change. And that's where B360 came from. What was your experience like early on, uh, Brittany, as you went around and uh, telling people about B360, letting them know you have this great idea to make an impact on on uh, youth in the city with dirt bike? What is what is the reaction of folks? Um, that's a good question. It was a mix of just like three different kinds. People that got it was like. <laughs> that is amazing like that instantly got it but that's people that are like you know really from here really understand what's going on it's like duh that makes sense then you know philanthropy is white led that's often not from baltimore not from the same communities that they serve um and not all philanthropy but some and it was a lot of no still is of uh, people telling me they don't know this problem exists um or people with their own bias which is underlined in racism asking me and challenging me, I should say, of how dirt bikes can be STEM because what they really mean is they don't understand how the same people that are in the streets seen as criminals can actually be smart or can have these skill sets, you know, so that's also a large part of it. Um, a third group of people, you know, which is typical, um, it can be black or white, but it's been like a lot of white people in motorsports who, because of what the media has said and done, two dirt bike riders only see rides as criminals too. Um, so constantly like being my opposition. Um, if you look at campaigns we've done for companies like Toyota, 
um, for Supercross, you'll see the comments. The comments are anything from calling us monkeys on dirt bikes to saying that, of course, they need to know STEM so they can break down their drugs and their weeds and they carry their guns um, to people talking about, like, you know, some of our students have locks to just anything to think about. So, like, a lot of, like, racism. Um, but the part of it that I always lean on the most, which is how we got here, is the responses I got from people that supported us. And that's the only responses that, like, mattered to me. So, when we first started, this was an idea. Um, I applied to Baltimore Course Elevation Awards in 2016 as a no- in the inaugural co- cohort and got in. Um, Social Relation Lab, the same. That gave my business acumen um even though i got a lot of no's in baltimore i actually got an echo and green fellowship which is a global fellowship around social innovation um and social entrepreneurship so that was like huge and i would say we've never pitched ourselves like stories but we've been in forbes team vogue vice cbs scene and like if you named it we've pretty much been in it and that's what i mean about the way that people have rallied behind us and our story and then like honestly the parents the riders the students that we work with the way that people in this city support us that's like the, the part that matters the most and like other people will get around to it, but I'm not really doing it for them. Who we really work for is for the people we serve and work with. And as long as I keep hearing that we're doing a good job from them, that's all. That's the only thing that really matters. For sure, uh, Brittany, I, I, I want to talk to you about you know dig a little bit more into what you just mentioned in terms of being black and. Um, having a black lag organization coming up with an innovative uh, idea such as the one you have and then entering uh, the nonprofit space the foundation space and trying to get the support necessary to sustain your work Um, I, I know about that you know with my program and through my peers, my colleagues, such as yourself, that that do very similar work uh, with youth in the city, um, is it definitely could be challenging. Um, from your perspective, uh, and you you touched on it um, a little bit just now, but with, with from your perspective, what needs to be done to challenge the way that foundations, the nonprofit sector, the ones who are largely uh, responsible for providing funding and resources uh, what you think need to change in that particular sector or in or um, rather uh, do you believe that um, we as a community of folks who do this work um, should challenge uh, ourselves to come up with innovative ways to sustain our programming your thoughts uh-huh. Yeah, so it's a mix on two. I think so the burden is not ours to bear, right? People always talk about grit. Grit does not exist. I personally know I have the most grit. You have grit. Like, as black people, we have grit. So when people ask that question to measure our success of how much grit do we have, that's a slap in the face. Because we have our glass ceilings because we work in a system that's designed for us to fail, right? So even with all the wars, accolades, accomplishments, all that stuff that people care about, we still have our own sailing that unless people open the door which is like the foundation we're out and do work on themselves we don't make it further so i always encourage people don't put the blame of like 
I'm not saying we're the oppressed people, but we can make as many type of innovations and as many type of different systems and as many type of different ways to fund ourselves, but we'll still always run into the same roadblocks because we still operate in a white led system of oppression that specifically has years of like racism behind it that holds black people back. So even if tomorrow, you know, like, I mean, ideally I would connect with, you know, like a multimillionaire, you know, but I still would have to pitch to more people to get access to capital. I still would have to work that network, right? Unless that that multimillionaire, if they're white, unless they sponsored me, which is like really going and sitting behind me and making sure that their friends understand what we're doing, making sure that they open those doors and break down like the walls, I'm still going to run into the same problems, right? It's not a, it's not just a money issue. It's not just a funding issue. It's a systems issue. And that's a, a, across all sectors. This can be the same thing, engineering. It can be education. It can be in like anything period because we all operate within white spaces. Um, so my real challenge is to like funding organizations and not just philanthropy, it can be any kind to really be better. Um, I'm looking at some good examples of like any Casey Summoner Leaders Program too. Um, I think that's a good example of a foundation that is proactive and solutions. Um, how, you know, they still, of course, you know, invitation only, but the their way of thinking of trying to undo a lot of things you can see in their leadership, you know, they, they're a site in Baltimore that's like black led basically um they invest in and when i say invest not just monetarily but invest in their leaders that they bring in that you know they want to do workshop they want to do training they want to get them in front of more people and they will actually talk to other funders on your behalf and that's a really strong set um i look to people like darius graham you know john brothers uh fagan as a general you know like fagan i think what was so different about Elevation Awards is, of course, it was led by a black man. Their office is in West Baltimore. But the idea that you actually can give people seed money for ideas that was nuanced because no one else has done it. You know, like any foundation, you usually have to come to them and say, hey, we have these metrics. We've done this for this amount of times. But with Elevation Awards, with which was... <sighs> out of like T. Rowe Price, um, like gave money towards it. That was a good opportunity to show like, yes, we can put money behind ideas. We can grow ideas. Um, and so I would really challenge foundations. Um, I would challenge foundations to not just only hire black people for equity and diversity, but put black people on your board. That's from Baltimore with lived and learned experiences of the people that you say that you serve. Um, I would challenge foundations to when you when you make your metrics and your goals for impact, think about the systems in which they exist. Like why are you measuring me who is not a multi-million dollar organization against a multi-million dollar organization in the same way? You know, why do we have the same metrics, period? Um, I'm thinking about like, who do you give to? If you're giving to mostly white-led organizations in a 63 percent black city that is a problem because as black people we are more than equipped to handle our own problems and we're more equipped to solve them and those closest to the problem i.e the black people in your community doing work are the best equipped to solve the challenges so i would just say like investing more into those people and not to foundations to give to people hopefully um so that's really my my two cents on it is not to blame 
of us to be more creative because we can be creative as possible. Our ancestors have been creative as possible. That's how we've existed. But we've only existed in these spaces. What needs to change is the blame, the burden of changing needs to be on a receiving end. And we haven't seen that just yet. For sure. Um, I think about... uh there were parents at Emerson High School, high school in uh, West Baltimore, uh, that were upset because the CTE programming, career and technology education uh, programming, uh, mm-hmm. was being changed at the school. Um, and there was a lot of pushback. Um, and I was having a conversation with someone when we was discussing the article today that you have to consider a lot of factors to come into play. And Baltimore City uh, youth aren't it, it, the issue itself is not just education. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, why does mom didn't make them sit down and you know study, or you know, why why mom didn't check up on his attendance at school? Um, and you know, folks use the word you know uh, a lot of a lot of blame goes around, and I and I, and I challenge them with that statement, and say I believe it's shared responsibility um, instead of you know saying blame. It's shared responsibility, and, and when we talk about our youth, as you already know, Brittany, they are our responsibility. You know, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're in a position as a school official or a parent or community members, those who are passionate and have community programs. I believe the success of our youth is is shared um, when you look at it in that regard. Um, with that shared responsibility, um, I believe also um, <laughs> having conversations around what we want our school to look like and having folks to listen is definitely important. And especially when you look at programs like B360 and you look at the CTE programming um, and how that could be a game changer. You agree? CTE programming is definitely a game changer. I mean, it's not even a game changer. It's been there for a long time. Um, I think, like we just said, the Emerson case, and I don't know all of the details. So I listen to and, 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 and let me just one, let, let me interject. And what, what I would say is the game changer is the, when you look at programs like B360, and just imagine if uh, B360 is implemented citywide in high schools um, under the CTE program imagine the the impact yeah i think um it will be a a option for people to you know like what we do is is be able to connect with people because you you see dirt bikes and make it real world example um so if b360 was in each school i mean i think that would be cool as a business owner i'll be thinking about do we have contracts to sustain that? Right. I think a lot of times like, and this is why I said, it's not, it's, it's like, a, it's not complex, but it's like things get started in Baltimore because it's, it's a good idea at the time. You know, we have momentum behind it, but then people don't put money behind it. So, and that's always been like my, my struggle with, with things um, is sustainability. So we can be in every school system. I mean, every school across the city, but my question would be for like for how long? Like who will put money into us for five years, ten years, 
30 years, you know, and that's usually what happens. In, and that's like with the CTA program at Emerson, somebody decided that they wasn't funding it no more. And that's the problem is that we don't have like sustainable structures. We can put stuff and offer things to kids for short term. But we, when they finally do get hooked or, you know, if we don't like the metrics that the program is living by, you know, and the same thing, you go to like the college and your classes can get canceled because not too many people enrolled. So that's that's how we look at it is not that we can be in every school, but in what schools could we actually be in where we can be around for 5, 10, 15, 20 years to make sure it's sustainable? Because if you're everywhere that doesn't mean that you're going to equally be able to do programming too and that may be too fast or that it can't last that long so I would just be looking at it from like let's make sure if we're going to be in a school that we can be in there for some years to come because I wouldn't want to start something and then it goes away and I think you know with CT or any program period for young people that should be the mindset let's not throw something because we're in a quote-unquote emergency situation but how can we make sure that we can start with a phase one which is a pilot phase we can move into something bigger to make it last longer and then we really put meat and muscles behind it once we worked out the kinks with the people we serve to make sure it's there for a long time absolutely uh Brittany, i want to thank you for taking the time out to do this interview and i, I want to thank you for all the work that you do Thank you. And I appreciate you for making this platform and the work that you're doing as well. So, and I, you know, thank you for having me on. No problem. No problem. Take care. All the best. You too. Have a good one. Again, I'm Bobby Marvin Holmes, host of Hugh Voices. Please be sure to check us out weekly for new episodes every Wednesday and subscribe to Hugh Voices podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also visit our website at sonofadream.com to learn more about how we provide services and multimedia resources to support the healthy development and success of children, youth, and families. Take care and be safe.